Hello and welcome to the Bankers podcast series, Banking in Transition, looking at how the banking industry is adapting to the new normal as the world begins to recover from the global pandemic. I'm Joy McKnight, editor of The Banker, and my guest this week is Jerry Norton, head of strategy financial services at CGI, which provides IT and business consultancy services. Thanks for joining me, Jerry. Thank you. Pleasure. Obviously, you have a lot of experience in the banking industry. What do you think the major trends will be in banking over the next three to five years? There are four or five of those which I'll run through. I think they're all framed by uh, a belief that banking is an I, what I call an IT-intensive industry. And what do I mean by that? Well, I, you know, it's, it's the, the, most banking products are not physical. They're, they're virtual in some way. The IT spend by banks is high as a percentage of their revenue. 10%, 12%, maybe that sort of range. Other industries, it's much lower. So you know, banking is a huge user of IT, and it's very heavily intertwined between the IT side of things and the banking products and the banking business. So IT intensive you know, provides that linkage. And so these five things uh, you know, fit into that framework, and they are uh, accelerate, what I call accelerated digitalization. You could say it's digitalization 2.0, I suppose you could say. Certainly, um, sustainability, as in green, as in carbon emissions. Uh, certainly, some technology things, you know, cloud, AI, cyber. Uh, and then uh, what I call embedded banking, how banking actually is used by, by consumers or by, by, by customers, you know, by corporate customers. And then something around, unless interest rates, of course, change dramatically, then transaction things, you know, Something's, things which have got to be capital efficient for a bank and uh, more transactional than traditional banking is or has been anyway in the past. And I think those are the five or five things that really uh, will frame the next five years. Okay. And so how do these five things, how are they really going to affect retail and commercial banking? And maybe we can drill down sort of in each area that you mentioned. Yeah. This idea of transactional models affects commercial banking perhaps more than retail banking if you look at you know how, how does a bank want to become more capital efficient how does it how is it going to make its money in the future well it, it, it's not only is it is it payments and, and charging by the payments and doing those of course which we've, we've been doing for years but if you look at you know loans if you look at more traditional products then rather than um a, a loan and it's for a period and that's the end of it i might actually do something where the loan is is secured in a different way against the underlying asset. And for instance, if, if you took a crane as a good example, if it was a crane manufacturer, the crane manufacturer you know, traditionally makes their money by selling the crane to somebody. Uh, and obviously the bank may or may not loan some money against the, against the cash flows that go with that, against the, against the, when, when the cash flow comes, cash comes in. In the, in the future, you could see a model where the crane manufacturer leases or rents that, that asset as a service, you know, some transactional model by the day, for instance, and the bank therefore needs to design a product that actually fits that, a capital product that fits that new model. So I think you know, transactional things become more of the norm for commercial banking, but my embedded idea is more in the retail space. So for instance, it becomes part of a buying process rather than buying something and then I have to pay and there are two distinct processes wrapped around those two, two things. Actually, the embedded, the payment piece becomes embedded in the purchase, a bit way that e-commerce is doing it now, but more so. So the bank, the payment piece becomes 
you just enter some authentication codes and consent and it goes away and does it. And so I think that embedded nature is more and more likely to happen. So that's how I think that fits into the retail and commercial. And obviously this year, especially environment, social and governance, ESG has really risen uh, in terms of importance in the banking industry. You know, how do you think or do you think sustainability will change the banking world? Yes, I think I think that is you can see that now how it's this year. Uh, everybody, particularly in, in, in Europe, um, everybody is, is talking about sustainability in, some, in banking in some form. And I, I, I think that's partly because, you know, because of COVID, as you say, that this is a, a sort of reboot, if you like, of, of lots of lots of industry. Uh, it's a time to reboot it. And how do you reboot it? Well, you, you re, industry reboots itself by being green and, and, and looking at some sort of green products itself, but also the way it consumes energy, the way it makes, you know, its emission type of emission. So you know, the industry is rebooting itself. And I think obviously governments, you know, most governments see some recovery here as a green, a, a green is part of that recovery. So there's a strong political you know, dimension behind this. And for banks, I think it's, it's a huge opportunity. I talk about a sort of virtuous circle, I suppose, here, that on the one hand, you know, part of the bank will make a, a green a green product effectively, some sort of loan again tied to either a specific green project or a lower interest rate because the greenhouse gas emissions from the, the corporate uh, are less or might be less. So there's a manufacturer of a product that I sell to the market. The corporate bank in particular, of course, goes and sells that product in some way. It's got to go and work out whether the corporate is indeed meeting its obligations about its greenhouse gas emissions. And so therefore, you've got to sell the product and monitor that the, 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 the meeting its obligations in order to attract the lower interest rate, whatever it is. So there's that part of the corporate bank. So it's the investment bank manifests the product. Corporate bank sells it. The wealth management part of the, the bank has got to chop up that loan and sell it back out to investors uh, because investors are clamoring for green investments. And of course, again, regulators are encouraging uh, uh, banks to do that, you know, encouraging pension funds to hold some ESG um, uh, you know, investments. Of course, they are. And finally, the regulator is looking at the systemic issue across the uh, bank. To, uh, to see whether the bank's exposure to uh, fossil fuel companies is too great. It's an undue risk, a systemic risk. It's another type of systemic risk. And therefore, the, the, the central bank has got to regulate um, or certainly monitor that exposure. So you see a virtuous circle, and I think that's accelerating fast, particularly, as I say, in Northern Europe, um, you know, Scandinavia. And I think that will spread through the rest of, rest of Europe fast this year. I think it's a big topic for this year, not five years. So, Jerry, can you also talk a little bit about sort of the accelerated digital transformation that's happened over the past year? Yes. Um, what's interesting, and this is now well documented or becoming well documented, is that uh, COVID has been a, 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 a inadvertently a spur to huge spur to the digitalization process um, within banking. So it wasn't that banks were not making pro progress. Of course, they were. It's not as if they were not committed to it. But in necessity, as they say, is another invention. I mean, this is something to do with that. So what do I mean by that? Well, the, the, the you know, COVID, I think, exposed vulnerabilities in the banking system to 
um, you know, disruption from you know, the supply chains, you know, vendors, uh, uh, IT perhaps not being um, uh, resilient as it, as it should have been in certain cases, and certainly you know, processes which could easily be broken because you know, so there were lots of manual intervention which had to be done potentially offshore or certainly in different locations. So all of that was exposed. And because of that, banks have done, you know, done some astonishing things in the last year in order to mitigate those risks. But from that, they're now saying, well, okay, how do I fix this permanently? So this is everything from your automation of processes, which was going on anyway, but you accelerate that automation. But it's even more so, I think, about redesigning products so that products do not require so much paper or products don't require so much manual intervention. And certainly the more standard products would go through straight through without intervention by, by, by many humans. So therefore, I think this, this accelerated uh, process, you know, is get, that is the key driver. And I think at the end of that process, banking will look a lot different. Now that is gonna take four or five years, that's not tomorrow, but it will look different at the end of that process um, because I think it'll be much leaner but it will also be much more agile. There'll be more variation uh, to enable people to customize their own products to offer better uh, user experience, et cetera. And I think we're seeing that, my example, my evidence for that would be in the business banking world where traditionally business banking, you know, it was fairly basic uh, and, and indeed a lot of smaller corporate, small businesses were not particularly enamored with the products that they got. It was more product pushed by banking rather than sort of demand pull. Um, and you know these products were again they were simple loans they were payments and they were being charged quite a lot of money for those there's a concept called contextual banking which is really saying look I'm going to deliver the right product to these small businesses at the right time when they need it it's based on data of course uh, it's not based on intraday loan based on a short a short term cash cash problem in that small corporate but whatever it is it's it, it's much more in context with the, the small corporates business uh, and therefore it's much more what they want and it's tailored they can get on with their day-to-day -day work rather than worrying about the, what, what, what banking is going on so I think you'll see a huge changes like that uh, because of COVID and that's accelerating as banks realize they want to remove those vulnerabilities and want to uh, want to um, you know finish off the job of digitalization but what IT challenges uh, do you think banks will face post-COVID and in the future? Yeah, I think there are two or three things I think we can see there. Uh, there's underneath this, and this is back to my IT, IT intensive point from the beginning of the, uh, the podcast, a huge move to cloud technologies. Now, the data, of course, may still well be located in, on my own premise of premises because clearly there are data privacy and data security issues so that in itself uh, will continue but the compute and the infrastructure provide you know provided by by cloud providers will you know the so-called hyperscalers i think is the term they use now uh is 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 effectively will no longer you know you won't do that on premise you'll do that through them so and i think that is one trend and it seems to me in banking that everybody I speak to is now focused on doing that. And again, that's short term. That is the next two to three years, not the next five. So that's one challenge. Migrating to, to, to cloud for the compute, for the, all of that side of things is, is a big challenge. And I think the other thing that we'll see in the next two or three years is more use of machine learning and forms of AI. 
and it won't be necessarily in the customer interaction. I mean, of course, that will be there. I think this will be more in the interpretation and use of the underlying data. So back to my example about the small corporate, the small business. How, how do I know this small business? I'm tailoring some products to these small businesses. How will I do that? I won't do that by human uh, intervention. I will do that through some sort of machine learning and AI where I'll work out what that small business based on other, other small businesses and what other segments that business might be in, in bakery or something. I'll, I'll work out what their typical cash flows will be. I'll work out what this particular one maps against, particular instance maps against those cash flows. And I will then offer you some sort of interim product to help you, um, you know, manage your cash flow or uh, sort of payments or whatever it might be. And I think you'll see an increased use of machine learning for, for that reason. Maybe my last question is around competition. Uh, and I think this question gets asked a lot at a lot of different uh, industry events um, when we used to have them in real life, but now virtually. Um, but where do you think the big competition is coming from for banks? I still think it will be, uh, I've said this you know, consistently, I think that it's, it's actually from other banks. Um, and I think that's for two reasons. I think um, you know, the small challenger banks have stirred the market up and actually how the big banks responded, well, they responded by copying them, actually. And so, you know, I, I think the, the competition in the future won't be from the challengers so much. I think the, the competition in the future will be for other banks. And then at the, in the sort of corporate market, then, yeah, sure, that we, we know that there are, you know, that there, are, that there clearly are the, the Googles and the Amazons of this world who are making inroads into the banking sector. But I still... I'm probably old enough to believe that, that those those organisations don't really want to take on the risk, the risk and the compliance issues that banking has, and so therefore or requires. So therefore, I I I I still think that actually the banking's biggest competitor is itself and, and its ability to transform itself, of course, but also the competitors, you know, other banks doing things. And I I, I think that will be the, the case in the next five years. The only, the only proviso caveat is this idea that I outlined before about embedded banking, that obviously a bank doesn't want to get sort of pushed out of that process. You know, if they, if they lose their brand in that sense, then I think there is a concern that you get pushed to be a utility. You're still there, but you're a banking utility, not a, not a sort of front of, front of house, um, you know, back office, not front office. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Gary. No, absolute pleasure, Joy. Thanks very much for inviting me and letting me do it. Thank you. And thanks to our audience for listening. Keep up to date by subscribing to our weekly podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and follow our discussions at thebanker.com slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources. 
uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.